Welcome wrestling fans worldwide to Knoxville and the Great Smoky Mountains for the Ron Fuller Tennessee Studcast. Six feet nine inches tall, 265 pounds. This historic podcast from one of the most respected and successful wrestlers and promoters will follow the footsteps of one of the largest and oldest wrestling families on the planet. The Tennessee Stud, Ron Fuller. Through 93 years and four generations. The Stud has arrived. Old school or new fan, this unique broadcast will educate and captivate as Ron details decades of professional wrestling's growth with truly unforgettable stories. I want those people out there at home to hear the stud. Sit back and enjoy the ride with the Tennessee stud. The Tennessee stud. You will learn that name. You will remember it. And now, the stud is here. Hey everybody, welcome in. It's David Summers hosting another Studcast with the Tennessee Stud, Ron Fuller. It's the only podcast on the planet documenting the real story of professional wrestling. It's 100 years of rich wrestling history as told by the Stud. Please welcome the originator of the Studcast, the man who changed the podcasting world with the Super Studcast. We step back into the ring, back into time with the Tennessee Stud, Ron Fuller. Ron, my man, what's going on up in the hills of Tennessee? Oh, man, it's a beautiful, beautiful day, Dave. Uh, a lot of blue sky out here. Uh, birds all chirping around. Flowers all blooming. Never seen so many wildflowers, man. I'd forgotten what it's like up here in this part of the country. It's really, you really saw, beautiful day. You saw a uh, bear last night. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, I went out uh, back of my place last night, and I got a creek back there, and uh had a big old black bear, man, just laying right in the middle of it, man. He was being a waterfall, man. It was <laughs> water running up his back. And and um, we kind of just sat there and looked at one another. He was about 100 feet away, I guess. And I was yeah. like, wow, you know, I, mean, uh, I believe that's a bear. Yeah, and it sure was. So uh, well, Try to maintain that 100 feet at least, Ron. Oh, yeah. I, I didn't go down there just to, to introduce myself. You know, Good probably deal. if I'd have been Roy, though. I might have gone and checked him out, you know. Exactly see if he what I was wrestling yeah. Skill. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I tell you what, that's awesome, and it's, it's it's good to be back at home in Tennessee. And I know you're getting settled in, but you and your your life right now, Ron, is an absolute whirlwind of activity. Maybe it's a cool deal that you're in the mountains, so you got plenty of time to take care of stuff. You just released part two of Super Studcast number 42 with the great B. Brian Blair of the Killer Bees, no less. You're recording Studcast number 205 today, right now. Your new YouTube channel, Southeastern Rewind, is beginning to take off, absolutely. And this week, you are also the focus of the Arn Show with Arn Anderson with Conrad that airs beginning Saturday, July 3rd. Dude, it's the freaking enforcer. And you are at center stage on the Enforcers show. It's called Arn, and that is awesome, man. That's cool. Oh, yeah, yeah it really is. I mean, uh, wow. I was blown away, man. And they, 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 that was the first guest he ever had on his show. Okay. And uh, just the whole show was built around Southeastern and his experiences there. It was great being on with Arn. I love Arn. And uh, 
had a really, really good time. And uh, for fans that uh, aren't Anderson fans, and for those that aren't, you, you should go listen to this if you're a Southeastern fan uh, or a fan of mine. Uh, uh, it's a it's a great uh, great great uh, podcast. Uh, really really enjoyed myself on it. And you know, I honestly say, Dave, you know, uh, I'm certainly not bored, man. <laughs> well, I was going to ask, how are, you, how are you doing all these things at one time? <laughs> well, man, you know, a, a super stud cast, you know, uh, 42, and now it's at least totally complete. You know, I got the first part of that one is with uh, Bill Dundee, who's an Australian guy that's uh, been in America. Uh, was a star from for 30 years in America, maybe the one of the biggest Australian stars in the history. And I just finished the part two yesterday with my buddy Lou, who's recording this one today. And uh, we did uh, B. Brian Blair, man, who uh, he, he's 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 done everything. He's wrestled all over the world. Uh, he's been a C, he's the present CEO and president of probably the most prestigious wrestling club in the world. Cauliflower Alley Club. Wow, uh, you know, and uh, and hell, he's uh, he's been uh, he's been in the city of Tampa, a council member in the city, elected official. I mean, guy's done everything. So that's really a really a great part two. Uh, that's uh, Super Studcast number forty two. It's got uh, Dundee on the front and Blair on the back, and wow, it's it's really a good one. I really enjoyed that too. And I thank all the fans out there that have already subscribed, man, and joined my YouTube channel, uh, Southeastern Rewind. That's the name of it. And all of you have been there. Many, many of you, I assume, almost all of you have been have rung the bell there, man. And uh, if you haven't done it, then please, I encourage you to go there to the Southeastern. All you got to do is go to YouTube, Southeastern Rewind, and there it is. Uh, subscribe, ring the bell. And every time uh, that I'm going to put something new up on there, I'm going to ring your bell. <laughs> Absolutely. Speaking of which, we add something on a regular basis that I know I'm sure enjoying the Tell Me More series of questions and answers that we do together three days after the channel rewinds each of your original studcasts from years ago. And, hey, that's a lot of fun. We're, we're chatting back and forth and getting questions from a lot of your studcast listeners and learning a lot of things that you didn't learn on, maybe you didn't reveal on, on the original Studcast. That's what I'm finding, uh, Dave. You know, when we do this show every every week, we do two of them every week, put them on there, and uh, they're usually, sometimes, uh, they're almost as long as a regular Studcast. The last couple have been in that 45-minute range. And right. Just answering five questions. And, uh, you know, I kind of, I love it, man. It's like it's brand new, and it's something that's never been done before. Uh, and it's right there on that YouTube channel, man, Southeastern Rewind, and the original Studcast are there. And obviously, that's all um, uh, one hour of my family's history. Each one of those is an hour. And then we put two more new two, you know, original Studcast on every week. And three days after we put those suckers on, uh, we come back and answer questions from those. So, you know, fans, if you go out there and you get on the YouTube channel and you listen to the old Studcast there, and then you put your questions. You can put them down right there, send them to us right then. And then Dave and I, we're going to answer those boys for you about three days later. Yeah, you got to check it out. It's a lot of fun doing those. And again, and you're right. It's like another stud cast that goes with each of the original stud casts. Subscribers are really enjoying them. And we're getting a lot of comments on there. So that's great. 
six of the original Studcast and five Tell Me More Answer shows are already there on the channel now for everyone to enjoy absolutely free, of course. And with the original USA Wrestling TV shows are going to start loading soon. And, and we're talking actual TV shows. How long before that happens? Hopefully that's going to happen within the next two weeks. Uh, wow. It could be even wow. sooner than that. And they, these will be shows will be coming from 1988. They'll have the Armstrongs on there. They'll have the Riches on there, Tommy and Johnny. Uh, they'll have Buddy Landell. They'll have uh, Ron Wright. They'll have the Mongolian Stomper. They'll have Moondog Rick. They'll have Hector Guerrero. I mean, it's a loaded, loaded crew and a tremendous uh, television production. And Gordon Soley doing the show, and I'm the, I'm wow. the co-host. Wow. So, you know, it's a, it's a quality program, and uh, for a lot of people that's never seen these, uh, they're all going to be in sequence. And I'm really, really uh, looking forward to getting the first one out there. We'll probably put on one a week, and uh, those, those will run at least 26 weeks. That's awesome. All right. Speaking of recording, where are we going to be riding today, Stud? Well, our training for today requires, a, obviously, this one requires a wrestler's hat. And we're going to take a look at the at injuries. The, and uh, because I just had one last week, this seemed to be a good subject today. I got an injury last week. And how those injuries affect wrestlers. And not just the injury, but uh, you know how it affects the family itself. So the focus today on this program, too, is going to be uh, June 17th, 1977, and it's going to be the controversy around who's going to get to take my place against Harley Race. Back in those days, I was hurt. Uh, I couldn't go. Couldn't, couldn't make the race match, and it was less than two weeks away when it happened. So it'll be announced on this studcast, and uh, it's going to be another classic TV show today, another great one, man. We're just uh, rolling with some really good stuff back in 77. And we're going to also discuss what I'm going to be doing after I got hurt. Uh, and then we'll get the results of this studcast card uh, in this show. And we'll also talk about the attendance. Went in with the learning tree. And uh, the question today has to do with the strength of one night tournament card, like the one we had last week, basically, for new tag team champions. We've got the questions in the front of it and question at the back of this one that basically uh, keeps us kind of in line with what this one's all about. So I, I, I love it when when that works out, man. <laughs> I bet there'll be questions along the way in between as well. It sounds like another great stud cast, Ron. So can't wait at this point to find out who's going to wrestle Harley Race for his second appearance in Southeastern. So Mr. Pickles and I, we are... We're ready to mount up, and we're ready to hit the trail. Where are we going to first? Well, we're going to have a full show today, that's for sure, Dave. Uh, we're going to we're going to begin by, by galloping into today's training, man. Uh, that's where we're going to be wearing those wrestlers' hats today, and we're going to discuss my recent injury and what happens to other wrestlers when they get injured. Uh, you know, uh, why and when wrestlers take off, and for periods of time. Uh, you know, we're going to kind of get into. Uh, what wrestlers go through. So some guys wrestle, you know, that want to take off. Some guys will wrestle every night for years and they'll save their money. And then they'll, they'll sometimes just walk away for a while to take off and uh, for an extended period of time, they save their money. And then once they walk away from the ring, it could be because they 
some guys get burned out for making the long trips and taking the big bumps in the ring. That group was very rare that did that, but there were some guys that made enough money that they could just take off when they felt like it. And, uh, you know, they used uh, their money that they'd saved up to, to live off of. And when they money got low, they came back to work. So, but most wrestlers only took off for extended times away from the ring for one reason, and that was injuries. And most of the time when any wrestler took off for an extended period of time, it was because he got hurt. And it occurred a lot in our sport. You know, we might have called the business a work, but that didn't keep guys from getting hurt. And some of them got hurt real badly and, and on many occasions. So it wasn't easy to be a wrestler, and especially if you got hurt. The wrestlers couldn't get health insurance. Like most other people, Dave, you went to get life insurance, and they said, what's your job? What do you do? And you put a professional wrestler in there. They were like, wow, they'd throw you out. They, they wouldn't even sit there and talk to you. They'd almost get you by the back of the neck. Yeah, you never even warm up a chair, do you? No, no. I mean, you, you, you know, once they once they see that, the story's yeah. over. Okay, well, there's the door. So that's kind of proof. If the insurance people do it, they don't insure you, it's a pretty good odds that there's a reason for that. Now, and if you've got a bulldozer, they'll, they'll cover your bulldozer, but not you. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> You know, and uh, yeah, it, it just was a bad deal, man. They refused to, to insure anybody that was going to get into a wrestling ring. Right, right. So, so what happened if you got hurt? Uh, you know, I, that's I'm sure a lot of people are going to ask that question. What do you do then? So, uh, you know, well, good promoters and owners, they tried to help these guys that got hurt, you know, and uh, some of them gave them, a, gave them a check to just to hopefully help them get through this injury so they could get back in the ring. And then, you know, if they had a small injury, they were probably going to get some small checks. And if they had a worse injury, obviously they're going to get a little more. Not every promoter did this, but the guys that were good and that treated you decently and you got hurt and it wasn't your fault, they would help take care of it. If it was the company's fault, they would definitely take care of it. You know, and, and guys get hurt sometimes. They'd, they'd hit the ropes and the rope would break and they would go out on their head and they'd be out with a concussion or they break their necks sometimes, you know, and, uh, or the plywood shifting in the ring and a guy break his ankle or break the bust his knee, you know? Uh, so when that happened, promoters really kind of had to step up, you know, but if you hurt yourself, you know, obviously <laughs> you're not going to get a lot of money for hurting yourself if you just made a silly mistake. So needless to say, the bottom line, when you got hurt, we're off for any extended of time, any extended period of time, you and your family suffered through it. So let's look at my situation and reason for taking off. Uh, it was due to an injury. I got hurt again by Ronnie Garvin, who jumped off the top rope on me for the second time in eight months. And uh, again, I went to the hospital. Uh, I was able to be, I uh, didn't have to be stretchered out of the ring, but I still went to the hospital. I spent one day this time, the first time he had done it to me was October 10th and 76 when I wrestled Terry Funk. And uh, this time, you know, I'm in a match with the Mongolian Stomper, but, uh, you know, he does it to me again. And what is really odd about this, Dave, the October 10th, 76 match, uh, he jumped off the top rope. And exactly eight months to the day later on June the 10th, 77, he jumped off on me again. 
<laughs> you know, it's crazy. You know, it was just two weeks prior to the world title match. And obviously, I'm going to miss that world title match with Harley Race in two weeks wow. after this. Wow. I'd luckily at this point started my own company. And I was doing pretty well in 76 when the Terry Funk injury came. And I'm doing even a little better in 77 because the crowds are discontinuing to grow. And I can handle all my my loss of income pretty well because luckily I'm the owner of a wrestling company and I still have income. Now, mm. A lot of guys didn't have that benefit. That was for sure. Right. All right. So how did your injuries compare to other wrestlers? And, and you had some pretty serious injuries. Well, yeah, over time I did. Injuries were all different for all different wrestlers. I mean, uh, you know, I just recently finished doing part two of a super stud cast with Brian Blair. Uh, the guy just mentioned a little earlier in the program, and we talked briefly. You know, he had a really remarkable story, but we talked uh, before and during the course of this about uh, his injury, you know, and he has a good friend, a really good friend of his, uh, who is the former NWA champion, Dory Funk Jr. And Brian, he's within two weeks of getting his 19th surgery after being a wrestler. Yeah, and he's wow. told me, he said, uh, you know, Dory told me, he said, Ron, I told Dory that this was my 19th surgery. And I asked him how many he had had. And he said, none. You know, then he asked me that question and I said, none. You know, I mean, uh, none enough so that I had a surgery. Now, I had a lot of situations like this one where I was hurt, but I didn't have to go under the knife. All those years that Dory Jr. was NWA champion, wrestling these hour-long matches, being in Japan where there was crazy the things he did in the ring over there, and he never received an injury that required surgery, that, that to me was an amazing fact. And thinking about this, and, and I'm not sure what the difference is in ages, Brian Blair versus Dory Jr., who do you think wrestled the most matches? And I, easily, I think anybody would say Dory Jr. And how many oh. how many more matches do you think he would have wrestled over time than Brian Blair? Oh, I, I would guess I would guess maybe a thousand. You know, and uh, you know the, the no doubt about it. You know, if you added up the actual time in the ring, Dory probably wrestled at least three hundred one hour draws during yeah. his years as NWA champion. And again, and I got Brian's time in the ring. Any yeah. other wrestler's time in the ring. When you were the NWA world champion, yeah. you wrestled these one-hour broadways, I call them, yeah. Yeah. three times, four times a week. And I'm not taking anything away from Brian Blair at all, but, I mean, no. 19 surgeries, that's a pretty tough dude that makes it through that and is still uh, moving about. But but just comparing to Dory Jr., that's a – and you say never had surgery. That's incredible. Never had a surgery, and, uh, you know wow. – uh, but you never know when you're going to get hurt. And you also don't know, Dave, when you retire, when an old injury is going to come back to get you, you know? Yeah, are I mean, you talking you, about yourself right there? Oh, well, man, you know, you get to, you get the aches and pains, man, that uh, you that, that yeah. remind you right away. My throat, lots of times because of what Garvin did to me on several occasions. Right? Yeah. I wake up in the morning and I think Ronnie Garvin. <laughs> you know, I was like, Gosh, oh boy, I feel it today. So, you know, this, so uh, it's a tough life. Oh, no doubt. Absolutely a tough life, especially on the body. So you're injured. What do you do now 
with your time as you recover. You and Mr. Pickles are really getting good, Dave. I'll tell you that. Uh, <laughs> now you're anticipating what's coming up already, man. Uh, dang. I, I'm really proud of you, man. That'll, that'll, that's actually going to be my subject for next week. Uh, we're going to talk about <laughs> what I'm going to do while I'm in recovery, right? Right. So, so I'm going to spend basically uh, this injured downtime on the far side of the state of Tennessee on my dad's ranch. And uh, we're going to be beginning uh, my move to really, really uh, move forward on creating or building my own second territory. Oh, really? We'll okay. talk about that next week. Second territory. All right. So I can't wait to hear a little bit more about that. So where do where do we ride next, Stud? Well, let's take a look at the card. Uh, June 17, 1977, uh, we were moving back into the giant amphitheater out there in Chilhari Park. We were finishing the longest run we'd had yet in this Knoxville Coliseum. And uh, in the next two and a half years, we're going to be in the Coliseum much more than we're going to be in the Chilhari Park. But uh, we're going to be in the park summer of 1977. But... Why, after so long, you fought pretty hard to get into the Coliseum, but now you're going back to Chilhowie Park. How, why would you give it up? What's the difference now? That's a really good question, Dave. We've been talking, man, about the last six or seven straight weeks about filling the Coliseum. Actually, we turned people away on one of those nights. We've been having these steady crowds there uh, since April the 28th when uh, I wrestled Harley Race there and we broke the all-time record. And the great thing about this amphitheater in Chihuahua Park is it actually held more people than the Coliseum. So we'd strung seven straight Coliseum crowds in the 6,000 or over range in the Coliseum prior to going to the park. And I, I kind of decided it made sense to me that if I could push that number over 6,000, it'd be worth it to go to the park. And uh, so that's kind of why I made the decision to let's get out of the Coliseum. It's summertime. It's warm. It's beautiful out there at night. It's a fantastic venue, man. Wow. At night, it's beautiful. With uh, you got five or 6,000 people sitting in the side of a mountain. So uh, I moved it. I said, let's go to the park. So one of the things I've learned from you, and that's based on some pictures that you've shown at tnstud.com, Chilhowie Park had some grass areas. Is that part of the reason? You couldn't put seating on those sloped grass areas, but you could still put a lot of folks on those grass areas. Oh, yeah. That was the deal. I mean, that uh, there was a seating in that complex in the amphitheater that seated close to 6,000. Uh, once you've got uh, six or 700 people that were on the the raised platform where the ring was for in ringside. So uh, and then you had this grassy area on both sides. You could get probably another thousand people uh, on both sides of that big old amphitheater. Wow. And across the top, there was grass up there. And people, once the seats were all full, they didn't mind sitting in the grass. And, and two, so, you, you had sort of proven to yourself that you could get a, a pretty good crowd. You were busting 6,000 pretty consistently. In the Coliseum. So I, I'm assuming you thought you could you keep that crowd and move them over and add even more. There you go. That okay. was my idea, man. So, you know, uh, all right. that was what it's all about. All right. So that's a big thinking right there. So the card, let's go back uh, Chill Howie Park on Friday, June 17th of 77. What was up there? 
Okay. This card, man, had a tremendous opening match. It was a new mascot that had just shown up uh, for the tag team tournament called the Pro. His name was Doug Gilbert, and he was, man, he was really highly regarded talent all across the country. And he had made his debut with uh, Norville Austin as a partner in the Southeastern Tag Tournament the week before. But this time, he's going to be in his first single match against one of the most popular wrestlers in the history of Knoxville, the old number one hillbilly himself, Ron Wright. <laughs> so second match on this card was also a great match. Atlanta had been experiencing tremendous crowds during this same time frame. They had two extremely popular mass wrestlers that were drawing those crowds for them, and that was Mr. Wrestling 1 and Mr. Wrestling 2. Yeah. And uh, Mr. Wrestling 1 was a great amateur wrestler named Tim Woods that I wrestled a lot in Florida in the 70s, and uh, he was going to make his first appearance in Southeastern on this second match against the old junkyard dog, Norvell Austin. Third match of the night was obviously the new star from Canada, Joe LaDuke. He was arresting a young guy who was going to go on to become a Hall of Famer, David Schultz. But added to this match, Dave, Joe LaDuke was going to have a tug of war against 10 men uh, who volunteered from that big crowd there in the amphitheater. And that's going to... (laughs) Ten men, yeah, yeah, I know. I hear you laughing, Dave. Like that's impossible. No, and you know that event was going to take place right before the match, right. and it was going to take place right up there on the huge platform where the ring and the ringside are set, in front of right in front of all those six thousand, five or six thousand people in that huge grandstand. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so ten ten guys from the crowd, they come in to participate in a tug of war with Joe LaDuke, right? Right. <laughs> I hear you laughing about it, man. But, uh, you know, I wasn't actually there to see it because I was hurt and I wasn't able to go that night. But uh, I had guys tell me about it, uh, especially Les Thatcher. He, he had described the whole thing, you know. So, uh, but, but you're really on it, man. <laughs> That's exactly what I said. Joe LaDuke right. had a tug of war with 10 men. Yeah, and uh, we're going to talk about that in the, as the program goes on here. But uh, the fourth match on this card was a new Southeastern Tag Champions, Mister Knoxville, Ronnie Garvin, under the mask, and his former Mid American Tag Team Champion, a uh, partner Bob Wharton Jr. And they were going to be defending against Bob Armstrong and Tony Charles, who was the former champion. The main event, because of what had happened to me the Friday night, the Mongolian Stomper was going to be defending the his Southeastern championship that he had won from me Friday night before against my brother, Robert gorgeous. George jr. Had been banned from ringside the week before when Mr. Knoxville came out and got involved and injured me and gorgeous. George jr. Is going to be banned again from ringside for this title match. Wow. Okay. Unbelievable. How you just keep on coming up with these incredible cards. So where to next? Well, let's talk about this uh, unusual TV that it's going to announce the new opponent for the NWA title match against Harley Race. Uh, it was only 13 days away when this television was made that Harley's going to be defending it. It was, was going to be me. All of a sudden, uh, Southeastern's got to get an opponent for it. So Les opened up the show, and he went through uh, the great talent on the show that day, including Terry Funk's going to be on via phone. And when the camera slowly backed away from Les, 
my brother was sitting there with him. And then the entire screen got filled by that still shot that we started everything with. And it was Rob and Joe LaDuke. They were both crouched over my limp body, man, after Ronnie Garvin had jumped off in my back and then again in my throat. And uh, so Les began to show by offering Rob his condolences about my injury. And uh, well, while they were uh, looking at the results of that, of that big uh, still frame, Rob began to speak, uh, you know, and the cameras closed in on both of the two of them. And the uh, director backed up the, that still shot to where I actually started to get the injury. So Rob obviously was upset. And, and I would have been the, exactly like he was. He, he was really having trouble finding words. His voice kept cracking, and he was about to cry a couple of times. And he explained that I'd been injured the night before by another surprise attack from Ronnie Garvin. He didn't call him Mr. Knoxville. He just laid it out there who he was. Less than about that time, to do, they backed the video up, and Les cued the director to roll it. And Rob started describing the action that he saw. Now, gorgeous George Jr. had been bad from ringside. And at this point in that video, I was on top of the Mongolian stopping. I had him beat. He was easily beaten, but the referee had already been uh, smashed by the stomper and was laying in the corner. So I had him down, but there's no referee to count him out. Oh, so yeah. Rob's watching the video, and I'm laying there on the stomper, and he goes, one, two, three, you know, like. If yeah. the referee had been there, and then he said, you know, Les, uh, that match should have been over right there. Yeah, he said, right my, there. Brother, yeah. Yeah. my brother is the champion. He's, he has become the uh, Southeastern champion. He's won the Stompers TV championship. He's headed to the world title match, right? And then as the video kept rolling, it showed Mr. Knoxville come down to the ring, climbed up on the top rope. I'm still laying on the Stomper. And he jumped across my back. And then, you know, Rob described it just like he saw it. And then uh, he, he called him again, Ronnie Garvin, not Mr. Knoxville. And then Garvin just flipped me over on my back, climbed back up on the same top rope, uh, right in the same corner, and jumped out this time, but in my throat. You know, so Rob told us, you know, that the knee drop right there was what really got me. And he and I had been able to talk. I'd been able to talk enough for him to understand the knee in the throat's what did it to me. And he reminded Les it was the same thing Garvin did to me in October with the world title match of Terry Funk. And he said Funk paid Garvin for doing those knee drops in October, last October. And Rob, you know, he was very upset. He said maybe he paid him again. Maybe he paid him to do it again, right? So uh, in the video, Garvin rolled a stomper over after he jumped off on me twice, put the stomper on top of me, dragged the referee over to where he could make the count. He left the ring. It was a no time limit, no DQ match. Wouldn't have made any difference. <laughs> you know, referee was going to have to count me out, even if he had seen Garvin do that. So Rob continued, you know, and he, he asked Les. He says, who knows, Les? You know, something about the with, with that interview on last week's TV. Uh, remember Les, last week, uh, Dave, we talked to uh, Harley Race did an interview, and he brought up the subject about, Something could happen to Ron Fuller in the next two weeks. Right. A lot of people yeah. don't like him, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. so Rob yeah. remembered that. He brought it up. He said, you know, last week, uh, you know, the champion, Harley Race, uh, you know, he might have opened the door to all this, Les, you know. And uh, he said, who knows who's really behind this? And and then, you know, maybe this time it's gorgeous George Jr. And he said, uh, hell, he paid Garvin last week. 
Daddy <laughs> had them out here last week. He gave him a wad of cash. Yeah. Right? He said, that yep. could have been paying for it right then, you know. So Rob was really, really, uh, he was upset by the whole deal. You know, then, you know, he he got into the situation for me. He said, this is really a rotten situation for my brother, you know. He said he, he lost his southeastern belt. He lost the opportunity to maybe become the NWA champion. And he's lost his health, you know. He's hurt, you know, and he's, he's going to be entirely out of wrestling for a while, which mm. yeah, I was going to be out for weeks. And, you know, who knows, uh, he said, well, you know, when he'll get another chance to wrestle Harley Race. May never happen for him again. So, you know, maybe the Stomper, you know, he said because he owns the belt now and the TV title, maybe Terry Funk, the former champion, or maybe even that snake Ronnie Garvin, that so-called Mr. Knoxville, they're all happy about what the hell they've done to my brother. Yeah. Yeah. So then Rob turned to Les, and he was very forthcoming, and he he just said, hey, who's going to get that shot at Harley Race in 13 days? Uh, it was almost like Rob just led him right into it. Les said, uh, I'm glad you asked me that, Rob. He said, the Southeastern officials last night, as soon as they got word that your brother wasn't going to be able to wrestle in the world title match, he said they spent the rest of the night discussing who ought to get that shot. Really? And he said they made the decision early this morning. And he said the man to face the NWA champion, Harley Race, is going to be announced on this show today on Personality Profile Live. <laughs> and um, so you know, then you know, so Rob's still sitting there. So he he told uh, you know he so he told Rob he says uh, several wrestlers have been considered late last night, and he said we've invited all of them to be here today on the profile. And he told Rob right then he says you're one of them, and Rob oh. was like he was so down. And when he said you're one of the five, wow, Rob was like wow. He, he his spirits went zoom through the roof all of a sudden, right? Who he goes, else? You're kidding me. You know, he yeah. goes, who? And then he, he, that's what he said. And who else? He yeah. Said, no. Yeah. And then who else? Who's the other four, right? Right. So, uh, and then uh, let's run them down. He said, Bob Armstrong, the Mongolian Ooh. Stomper, Mr. Knoxville, and Terry Funk. Wow. Funk. So Rob's expression, man, it lit up, man. And all these bad things that had happened and all, the, all of what he'd been through watching those videos, he was like on fire all of a sudden, man. He was like, are you kidding me, Lassie? They're, they're really considering me for, for a shot at my brother and to take my brother's place to wrestle the champion. And oh. Les said, you, you're certainly one of the guys. And he said, you are definitely being considered. You're on the personality profile today. And he thanked Rob in advance. He said, I want to thank you, Rob. You're going to actually wrestle on TV today. And that takes a heck of a man after what happened to your brother last night. So Rob went to the ring, man. He was on fire. He made quick work of old Jerry Stubbs, who was a young guy at this point. <laughs> and then he went into Studio B because he was going to make the interview for this upcoming match with the Stomper. So the Stomper came out. Obviously, he had his new Southeastern belt uh, that he had gotten from me the night before, strapped around his waist. And gorgeous George Jr. was carrying the big old huge TV trophy that was as tall as he was. And they came out to the desk, and George started off the interview bragging about how his Mongolian stomper had regained the southeastern belt, which the stomper was behind him, man, proudly displaying, big grin on his face. He loved those titles, man. And, uh, and, he, and he said the stomper was able to keep his TV trophy by defeating Ron Fuller last night 
And he said, and you know, it all happened less without me even having to be there to coach my man. They banned me from the ringside. He apologized. He said, I want to apologize to Ron Fuller for what that crazy Mr. Knoxville did to him, <laughs> which was a joke. I mean, obviously the, yeah. the studio audience, they booed him like crazy. They knew that wasn't the truth. And then he really, he really got into it. I got warmed up then and he started, he warned the South. He said, I, I warned the Southeastern officials last week when they barred me from the ringside that that match last night, something terrible might happen in it. And then he said, if I'd only been there at the at ringside, maybe I could have prevented Mr. Knoxville from doing what he did. <laughs> so, right. And Les right. is giving him the, 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 the big eye, the eye like, oh, you kidding me. And then he kept going. You know, he says, now Southeastern officials made the same mistake again. They banned me from ringside for this next championship match where my stomper is going to defend against Ron Fuller's little brother. And he said, you know, he was extremely sorry for what happened last night and, and that he hoped, uh, you know, his not being there at ringside next Friday night to control his stomper that it wasn't going to end up with the second Fuller brother being in the hospital. (laughs) (laughs) And Rob's standing there watching all this in Studio B, and boy, as soon as uh, George closed his mouth, Rob tore into him, man. He tore into him. And uh, he said, almost everybody knows who's responsible for Ronnie Garvin, so-called Mr. Knoxville's actions last night, because everybody saw last week the money you gave to him right there on TV in front of everybody. And he called him, you little pansy-ass gorgeous George. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, he, Rob got all excited. He threw an ass. We had to we had to jerk it out of there. But, <laughs> you know, and then the crowd popped on that one. And then he, he, was, he was on a roll. He was really into it. And he said, he continued. And he said, I think everyone knows who got paid and why. And he said, your stomper is going to lose his belt back to a fuller. One week after he stole it from my brother, I'm going to beat him Friday night. And, then, and he says, what do you have in mind this Friday night, pansy ass, when you can't <laughs> be at ringside again? Who's going to help your man then? And boy, it was another big pop from the crowd. So. <laughs> good interviews, a good first segment of the program. And a lot so, of ass slinging going on. Oh, yeah. And a lot of editing going on just to, yeah. <laughs> before that show went out of the studio. Right. So the second match was uh, this huge newcomer, man, the mass pro, Doug Gilbert. He was about 6'2". He was about 280 pounds. He was solid muscle, man. And it was his first TV match. So, you know, he, he came to the ring. He was He was determined, man. And he didn't waste any time in getting over. So after he was introduced, his opponent had his back turned still. And uh, <laughs> the big old uh, pro, Doug Gilbert, he'd charge across the ring, and he shot in the air, raised his knee up, and hit this guy in the back with a high knee. And I thought he drove his face through the turnbuckles and into the post. I mean, the kid just dropped. He never made a move. It just... He knocked him. I think he knocked him cold. Wow. And, uh, and so then uh, the pro just reached down and he's laying there and he wrapped this big old huge. He had these big monstrous arms and a huge chest. He wrapped those arms around this poor kid's head in a sleeper hole. And instead of just picking him up to his feet, he snatched him up on the mat and then he jerked his up in the air to where his feet weren't touching the mat. 
And then he started, it's like the kid was weightless, man. And, and then he started to jerk him from side to side. He's unconscious already. Those arms were just swinging wildly around. Like rag. Yeah, like a, <laughs> there you go. And the referee quickly called for the bell. I mean, the kid's out, you know. Had, and uh, instead of stopping, the pro just kept on. He just kept swinging him. So the referee had no choice. He started to count him out to disqualify. And about the count of four, pro released his rag doll. That's what the guy looked like. The kid looked like a rag doll, right? right. And it was so bad that the studio crowd went quiet, eerily silent, man. And I think they were trying to kind of assess the, what is the strength of this? Wow, (laughs) this guy's impressive, right? And he was impressive. So he went to the set with Les for the second interview about his match the following Friday, and he's against the number one hillbilly, Rod Wright. This guy was a good interview. He's a good talker, good worker, big and impressive dude. And he said he had first heard of this guy that he's wrestling next Friday night's name uh, a long time ago. And that uh, the guy's name was Ron Wright. And he was, he was, in his opinion, maybe one of the dumbest of all hillbillies in that part <laughs> of the country. <laughs> he, said, he said his last name may be Wright. But he, he said that he's definitely wrestling the wrong guy, though. <laughs> <laughs> he said Friday night he promised everybody he's going to put his favorite hold on him, one they just saw. He called it his rag doll. <laughs> on that, he said, I'm going to put my rag doll on that favorite hillbilly. Uh-huh. Ron Wright. Wow. So, so Ron Wright, nobody had seen Ron. They didn't know he was there. And when this guy did the first minute of the interview, there was a minute left. The cameras popped on to Ron Wright, who was alone in Studio B. Boy, the fans in the studio, they just popped, man. There's Ron Wright. There's our boy. But Ron started out, and he was—he said, hey, you know, that's pretty impressive what the, that big guy did just a second ago, you know. And he said, but one thing about it, he says, there's a world of difference between that little guy that he did that to and me. You know? <laughs> he said uh, and that, and he said, they, they don't call me the number one hillbilly for nothing. And yeah. he said, Friday night, he said, I'm going to introduce that big old boy to something like a good old Tennessee dog. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, boy, it was Ron, since it was Ron Wright, man, and he throwed in the dog whoop, and obviously the studio exploded. What a TV so far, Ron. I can't wait for the personality profile coming up. You guys. Man, that's the perfect tease. Nobody's going anywhere that's watching this TV show, and I'm sure that's the case in this stud cast as well. Hey, let's take a break, and when we come back, that big personality profile, we'll find out what's happening with that. And don't forget Ron's new page on YouTube. It's Southeastern Rewind. Find it, like it, subscribe, get set up, ring the bell, and more details on that are coming up. This studcast will continue in a moment. If you haven't bought your piece of wrestling history, the DVD five-pack of action from two of the greatest territories in the world, Southeastern and Continental, what are you waiting for? TNStud.com, Stud Store. If you want to own and experience the angles, matches, interviews, and stars of the 1980s in your own home, what are you waiting for? TNStud.com, Stud Store. If you want to see Hulk Hogan, Arn Anderson, Brad Armstrong, Lord Humongous, Wendell Cooley, Mr. Olympia, Dr. Tom 
Pritchard, Dirty White Boy, Doug Furness, and many others before they became stars. What are you waiting for? TNStud.com Stud Store. For less than $40, you can own 67 matches and 12 hours of pure wrestling history that'll never be done again. And watch it from the confines of your own home. It's simple. Go to TNStud.com now. Click Stud Store and get it all for only $39.99 and no shipping. Or you can wish you had purchased it long before it's gone. The choice is yours. Own it or wish you could. Hey, welcome back. David Summers here with the Tennessee Stud, Ron Fuller on another Studcast. We get back to that big personality profile, Ron, where Harley Race's new opponent is about to be announced. Are, are we there? Are we close? Yeah. Yes. That's exactly what's coming up next, my man. And, uh, you know, this profile on this one is another one of those classics we've been having the last few weeks. You know, the Joe Duke taking that axe to his arm and all the crazy things that uh, have been going on in the personality profile. It was like the highlight of the show. Uh, and this one is going to be really somewhat the highlight of the show. When this one starts, Rob and Bob Armstrong are sitting with Les at the set. They have a table there and there's a phone on the table the speaker is set up on the phone and terry funk is on the phone (laughs) he's not in the studio but he can hear what's being said and you can actually hear him when he talks okay Uh, we had to spend some time to set this up obviously because uh nobody else could do this back in those days there was nobody could do this type of thing that we're about to do here on this personality profile at the set you had the Mongolian Stomper. You had Gorgeous George Jr. You had Mr. Knoxville. And you also had the announcer, Phil Rainey, in case he needed to hand the microphone or whatever it was. And uh, so everyone in both places could be seen at the same time uh, because we were the only people at that time to have split screen. So what you saw was Les, Rob, Armstrong, and basically Terry Funk on one side of the screen and uh, Ronnie Garvin, Gorgeous George Jr., and the Mongolian Stomper on the other side of the screen at the same time. So Les, you know, got right to it, you know, and quickly he started describing, again, the circumstances that produced this very unusual personality profile. He said not one of the five being considered would have any time to speak during this profile uh, about the decision of the Southeastern officials after he announced the wrestler they had selected. In other words, we're not going to talk to you before it, and we're not going to talk to you after it. Okay. Oh. So, uh, an odd deal, you know, but uh, you think about all the things that could take place here that might be the rest <laughs> of the show. You couldn't get these guys to shut up. So, right away, kind of set the parameters for this profile. He said that the Southeastern uh, officials felt that all five of these guys should be told the results of their decision at the same time. And that's why this profile is being done this way, so that you can all hear it at exactly the same time. Yeah, but at the same time, you've, you've got Terry Funk on the telephone. How do, you, how do you have Terry Funk on the phone in any fashion on the show without talking? Boy, you are really ahead of it today. Uh, my hat's off to you, Dave, because when he closed his mouth, Terry Funk, you he was he <laughs> broke right in immediately, you know, oh just like you would have expected, just like you did expect. You he screamed over the phone. He <laughs> screamed over the phone. He said, uh, you know, uh, 
that they better be calling out my name. He goes, and he said something like, you know, I'm the only one that has a chance to beat that egg sucking dog Harley race. <laughs> you know, he, he did one of the Terry deals and Les oh, had to God. get him right there. Les oh, cut him off God. right away. He goes, oh, he said, Terry, Terry, you have been told to be quiet. And he says, if you open your mouth again, I'm going to disconnect you. You won't know whether you're the guy or not. <laughs> Boy, that shut him up. There wasn't another peep out of that phone. You know, it was a complete <laughs> silence. And then the, you, you got the, the fans could see all this, uh, both all these people on both sides of the screen. And, uh, you know, and I'm at home watching this. I'm, I'm hurt. I'm in my bed, in the bedroom, watching this on my television. And I, I, I see how all of them, they're all looking pretty nervous too, man. And Les was, he was uh, very serious about this profile. So he says, uh, he's going to make an announcement here. And he, he kind of led it up like it was a big announcement should be done. And he, he said to the fans here in the studio and to those thousands and thousands watching at home, uh, the man Southeastern officials have chosen to award this match to has not lost a match by pinfall or submission in the last four months in Southeastern wrestling. Les paused a little bit for effect so that people could think about it. They never, he hadn't lost a match of any kind by pinfall or submission in, mm-hmm. in four months. So uh, then Les goes uh, right into it and he says, ladies and gentlemen, Bob Armstrong is going to face Harley Race for the NWA World Championship on Friday, June 24th, 77. And that studio exploded. And they were, they, they were like, they were scared that they, they, some heel was going to get to take this match in a hearse, you know. So they erupted, man, in applause. And a kind of huge celebration started in the entire studio. And, and I got a feeling that it's, it was, the celebration was going on in a lot of homes across the southeastern United States, too. Uh, but not everybody was happy. All hell broke loose at the main set where Stomper and Gigi and Mr. Knoxville were. They started screaming, man. They they threw chairs. They threw the chairs that uh, sat next to Les and Les's chairs into the studio. Uh, you know, they turned over Les's desk. <laughs> and they just stormed off the right side of the screen. All of a sudden, the guys on the right side of the screen, you could see them throwing chairs and turning the table over and screaming and all, and then they just disappeared. <laughs> and then, you know, the, the, and Terry Funk, then you could hear Terry Funk. He's screaming on the phone. You couldn't tell what he's saying, but he's, <laughs> he was upset too. And Les reached over and cut his phone off. Oh, <laughs> 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 well, no, Rob and Bob, they were just hugging each other. You know, Rob was happy to see Bob get the deal. So Les closed out the profile. Uh, you know, unlike and unlike normal profiles where we just normally ran after the profile, these little 20 second bumpers with the statue turning around, we had to actually stop the recording of the program and we had to reset up the studio that had been ruined by the heels up. There, yeah, yeah. You know, imagine, so, uh, imagine wrestlers damaging furniture, Ron. What the hell yeah, is that about? You know, yeah, it's just not like they do normally. Yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> So, so yeah, so they went up, they, they set the chairs back up and they set the desk back up. And they, after we got everything ready again, yeah. they started the end of the third match. <laughs> that was one hell of a production right there. Split screen and all this, then all the mayhem in the studio. So, so who, who was next? And, and what about that third TV match? Well, 
robbing them that disappeared uh, and they were setting up the studio. And man, when it came time for that next match, you had the man of the hour popping in the studio, Bob Armstrong, man. And they were right back to on their feet again, those fans. His popularity was huge in Southeastern at that point. And the uh, fact he was a baby face and he'd been selected for the title shot, it just seemed to make that love affair between him and the crowd even bigger, man. So he went in, you know, he was, you could tell he was on cloud nine from the news of being, uh, getting the shot at Harley race. And, and he took care of business real, real quick. Uh, last match on that TV was Mr. Oxville, Mr. Knoxville, Bob Orton Jr., new Southeastern tag champions. Uh, mm-hmm. They finished out the show uh, by doing their normal thing, dropping one on their head and Garvin jumping off in another one's throat. And uh, so then Bob Armstrong and Tony Charles, they interviewed with Mr. Knoxville and Bob Orton because they were meeting them the following Friday night for the tag championship. The Jola Duke ended the TV with a challenge that we talked about to the 10 men mm-hmm. for the following Friday night, that if you think you can, any 10 of you can beat me in a tug of war, come on down to Chilhai Park Amphitheater and we're going to find out who the real man is. And when you set that up, who, who wants to miss that? Nobody. So, I mean, there's a challenge at the end of the show from Joe LaDuke. That's pretty awesome. Another great TV show. And again, all right, so the results of the matches in the first show back in Chilhowie Park in so many weeks, what'd you get? Well, the the pro beat Ron Wright, but it was, gosh, it was a really good match, you know, and, and I, I didn't get to see these matches, but the less explained them to me, Rob explained them to me. I asked him about all these matches the day afterward so that I could, you know, uh, have a feeling for what, what went on. And the pro definitely, he didn't do to Ron Wright what he did to that the rag doll on TV, man. He, he did not make that happen. In fact, <laughs> the old number one hillbilly put a little bit of a dog whooping on him. That's what Patrick told me. I bet. You know, and, uh, and to win the match, the pro had to actually pull Ron Wright's tights, uh, you know, pull, him, pull his tights up to get a real quick win. And uh, so it was a good enough match, man. I, I talked to Rob and I said, man, we need to. Two weeks from now, let's put them back on the card against each other again. Then the second match, the great Tim Woods, man, uh, who was a tremendous wrestler. He took the junkyard dog, Norvell Austin. uh, But, you know, Austin did his own thing. Uh, Austin uh, always kept himself strong. Even when he lost, he took a lot of most matches. uh, uh, He was was really a great wrestler. Joe Duke, man, he thrilled the crowd with the most impressive feat in that tug of war, man. And men volunteered from all over the amphitheater. They came from out of the stands, Les told me. They came from ringside. Uh, He said as many as probably 50 guys lined up wanted to be one of the 10. And uh, I said, well, who picked the 10? And he said, I did. He said, I went through and he said, I picked pretty big guys, you know? And then he said, gosh, when I watched Joe do this, he said, I was amazed at how strong Joe Duke was, you know. So uh, I talked, uh, you know, b- before this card about uh, doing another strength exhibit with Joe. He said, Ron, I, I want to do the tug of war. They could not beat him. Joe beat 10 men in the tug of war. So then Joe said, uh, had already told me, he said, Ron, I want to do another tug of war, but I want to put five men on each side of me. I want to put ropes on my biceps. 
I want to connect my hands and I want to see if 10 men can pull my hands apart. Wow. Okay. Wow. Okay. I was like, wow, Joe, are you kidding? Can you do that? Yeah, absolutely, Ron. So after the tug of war, Les announced in the amphitheater that Joe LaDuke challenged another 10 men to come to the TV station the following day, which the TV <laughs> was the day after, and uh-huh. see if 10 of them, five on each side of his body, could pull his hands apart with ropes wrapped around his biceps. What do you think showed up at the studio the next day, Dave? <laughs> wow, <laughs> we had 500 people in the parking lot. Uh-uh. You know, there was no way we could have got them into the studio. You know, we had to pick guys in the parking lot and bring them into the studio. Right. But we'll be talking about that one in the next show, obviously. All right. So, did, I mean, didn't he still have to wrestle David Schultz after the tug of war? Yeah, he sure did. And uh, he didn't have any problem taking care of David Schultz, who was a young guy at that point. In fact, he beat him with his finishing hole, which is a bear hug. Bear hug. When, no when Joe LaDuke put a bear hug on you for that kind of strength, you know, uh, he, I'd rather have a bear probably hugging me than him. You see, I mean, it seems like Joe LaDuke just really wants this, and he is the one who is drawing the attention and getting over. So, I mean, this guy, he's putting himself over big time just with almost everything he does. You got it right, Dave. Uh, he certainly did. You know, uh, he was doing these strength exhibits, you know, which was far more effective than just beating somebody, a normal opponent in the ring. You know, when you watch a guy a tug of war with 10 guys and beat him, and then he's going to do this thing on TV and uh, won't let I won't let anybody know exactly how that's going to go down. But mm-hmm. uh, he is doing things that no one has ever seen before. Mm-hmm. So. In the fourth match, Bob Armstrong, Tony Charles, uh, they won the tag championship match, but by disqualification. And Armstrong uh, and Charles couldn't win the belts that way. And obviously, Mr. Knoxville and Bob Orton Jr. got themselves disqualified. They did not take the champion's tag belts. And the last match of the night was my brother Rob against the Mongolian Stomper for the Southeastern Championship, Gorgeous George was banned from ringside. And I was told uh, by Les that, that Rob was really strong in this match. He looked very good, man. And he had the stomper beat. And the referee was accidentally knocked out of the ring just about the time that Rob put the fuller leg lock on the stomper. So, and as I've described before this amphitheater, it had this giant grandstand, man, that hold about 5,000 people. And that grandstand faced this big raised platform, concrete platform, where the ring sat, and there was about 600 ringsiders on that platform as well. So uh, when the referee went through the ropes uh, and, and took this bump on the concrete, a fairly hefty-looking lady with long black hair got up from a ringside seat. She was about six rows back, and she charged kind of wobbly on her high heels up right into the ring. The lady from ringside, and she had a big black purse. And she went right over to where Rob was. He's on his back. He's got the toehold on the stomper. And uh, she dropped on her knees and slammed that purse in his face. And Les told me when she hit Rob in the face, he said his head fell back. He was it looked like he was knocked unconscious. And uh, then she got up and she wobbled, wobbled over the edge of the ring. She jumped off the concrete 
and lost one of her high heels, ran down the ringside aisle and back into the heels dressing room. No one ever saw her again. All right, so did, were the police involved? I mean, you're, you're talking about somebody from the crowd. Yeah, somebody from the crowd. Yeah, I mean, she was there and gone so fast <laughs> that the police couldn't do nothing, you know? Right. And the referee finally got back in the ring after she had done that. Rob's laying there. Stomper rolled over on top of him. Referee crawled back in, counted him out. And then, <laughs> so. All right. So, so a woman from the audience kept the Mongolian stomper from losing his belt to your brother. That's it. <laughs> yeah. If that's what you think, Dave, that's it. You know, I wasn't there to see it, but, uh, you know, that's what I was told. The okay fabe has just been dropped again. When am I going to learn? So there you go. All right. Well, you're learning more every week, Dave. <laughs> Another show tomorrow at one. There you have it. All right. So I'm I'm pretty sure you guys did really well attendance wise. What, what what was it like? Well, the amphitheater looked packed, man. But uh, I never got the actual attendance figures anywhere in those amphitheater shows. Uh, the Coliseum, they they were on top of all that stuff, but. Uh, the amphitheater out there at Chai Park was not run the same way, and uh, you couldn't get the actual figures like you could from the Coliseum. Uh, my, my estimate was, uh, according to Rob and him, it might have been a little under six thousand, but it was it was probably over fifty five hundred. Wow. Okay, that's still a huge crowd on any night for any wrestling company. All right. Are you sure that woman had black hair and not blonde hair? Either way. Uh, I'm just throwing it out there. Either way, it is time to have a seat under the learning tree. Remind us once again, did you even pose the question earlier? Let's find out who it is and what it is. What's going on? Okay. Uh, uh, speaking of ladies, we got one that asked a question today. Uh, her name is Margaret Lacey, and she asked, how strong are the cards or events with one-night tournaments? And that's a great question. You know, uh, the, we had one of those one-night tournaments, uh, uh, last event. And so the event before last now, actually. So I always like to do one-night tournaments uh, for several reasons, Miss Lacey. I'll call you Ms. Lacey. One reason was that it gave you a much bigger, a much larger number of matches than a normal card would. For instance, if you had a 14-man tournament, you're going to have 13 total matches. Everybody's got to lose, and only one person is going to win the deal. So maybe... Twice as many matches as you normally have, you're going to have on a tournament night. So fans love to come to see lots of matches. And that's what the, we were really publicizing that I like to publicize, other than the fact that there was a one-night event for some kind of special prize, the fact that there was going to be a large number of matches in a tournament. Another reason for a tournament was I thought was good was the matches could all be uh, a little shorter and more fast-paced and exciting than the normal match because yeah. the wrestlers had more time to rest between matches and they had more energy left when they went back to the ring to wrestle the second, maybe the third time. Sometimes if you've got a 14-man tournament, you might have to wrestle four times. But, uh, you know, your, your, your matches are going to be faster. They're going to be uh, more exciting. And uh, also, you could easily work new angles with tournaments. You you get into a tournament and nobody's having a, has had any problems, and all of a sudden you can create an angle with two guys that really get into something nasty that uh, nobody expected. So it, especially you're going to start new ones based on the finals of the tournament. 
whoever wins, the two guys that win, maybe they both are bleeding at the end. There's a lot of things you can do with a tournament. You can use new talent for tournament. Bring in new guys, like we did for the tag deal with the Kangaroos, uh, with uh, Condry and, uh, and Hickerson. It was Phil <laughs> back in those days. Yeah. So, you know, we had brought in uh, new guys. So you can bring in new talent in these tournaments. People uh, get to see new people that they don't see, see on a regular basis. And there's something about a one-night tournament that kind of added special significance to the event. And it didn't make any difference what the tournament was for. Just the fact it was a tournament made it a little bit special. For all those reasons, and, you know, I probably could think of even more if I had, if I had a little more time to dig deeper in my experiences. But uh, off the top of my head, uh, Mamba, I think that's a few reasons that I think uh, tournaments were good things, and uh, I love to do them. Whenever I had a chance, I like to do the tournaments. That's interesting. And, too, you you got to have really skilled bookers because when you're talking about 13 or 14-man tournament like you were, it could make or break a situation and really skilled bookers can spin and spin and really come up with new stuff and keep, keep it going. That's it. Wow. Man, Ron, you just keep knocking it out of the park every week. Another great one today, ladies and gentlemen on Facebook to become friends with the legend Ron Fuller Welch on Facebook. Do not go to his Ron Fuller Welch Facebook page. It is full at this time. Okay. Am I reading that right? Wow. You're yeah. not, you are knocking it out. All right. Go to either the Ron Fuller, the Tennessee stud Facebook page or the author Ron Fuller Welch page. Then simply follow him there and automatically become friends with a legend. Again, just to make sure we got that right. You're full on the Ron Fuller Welch page. So you now go to the Ron Fuller, Tennessee stud Facebook page or the author Ron Fuller Welch page on Facebook, on Twitter and Instagram, Ron Fuller Welch on both super stud cast number 42. Part one features one of Australia's biggest wrestling names, superstar Bill Dundee handling elephants in the Australian circus to handling monsters of the ring. Bill Dundee's story is spellbinding at tnstud.com or patreon.com slash studcast. Part two with B. Brian Blair is now available. He's done it all. He's wrestled all over the world. He's been a city of Tampa elected official and now president and CEO of the famous Cauliflower Alley Club with wrestlers from all over the world. This super studcast has it all at tnstud.com or patreon.com slash studcast. Three hours, only $2.99. And still the best old school DVDs out there. The Southeastern Continental Collector's Edition 5 DVD pack has far too many huge names to mention. It contains 67 matches with more than 12 hours of tremendous moments. Own your piece of pure wrestling history at tnstud.com. Click stud store. Some of the greatest stars in history are on these DVDs. Only $39.99 with free shipping. You have to own these now. Ron's best story didn't happen in a ring, but it happened with a lion. It takes place in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. If you're a true stud fan, you have to get Brutus. 
Ron's first novel. It will blow your mind. It has 50 five-star ratings on Amazon. Many say it's the next Jaws. Read the reviews yourself at Amazon.com Brutus Novel. Get the book or the special autograph copy at TNStud.com. Click Stud Store. The book is $19.99. Autographed personally for you, $29.99. And both would come with free shipping. Saddle up and subscribe today. Begin your ride on the Stud's YouTube channel, Southeastern Rewind. Join, ring the bell, and he will ring your bell every time something new is added to the channel. Here the Stud's never before offered Tell Me More shows. You get two every week, three days after each new original Studcast is added to the channel. Subscribe today and support the Tennessee Stud. And this week, you're the focus of the Arn Show with Conrad. That airs. We, we mentioned this early. Don't, don't miss this, though. Beginning this Saturday, July 3rd. The freaking enforcer, Ron. That is so awesome. All right, so where are we riding next week? Well, next week's today training. Uh, we're going to follow this week. As I kind of mentioned earlier in it, I'm going to talk about what I did during my injury, during that downtime in the summer of 1977. And uh, I'll be looking and focusing on expanding my company into a second company. And uh, we'll be talking about the NWA title match. We're finally there to the title match with the Harley Race coming back into Knoxville, summer 1977. This time he's facing Bob Armstrong. Uh, we'll talk about the first ever Stomper versus Joe Duke match and much more. Another great TV show to advertise, man. The huge night uh, next week, uh, the results of that card, the attendance, all of it's going to be coming on the next studcast. Our learning tree question for the next one, ask uh, what are your thoughts or opinions of the 1977 split of the Memphis Territory between Jarrett and your grandfather, Roy Welch and Nick Goulas? Great question. Uh, it's in that 1977 time frame. Uh, I look forward to answering that question, Dave. Uh, and I want to thank everybody out there that's listening to the program. And obviously, I hope you enjoyed the show today. And and please tell your friends about us and uh, take care of yourselves and others. And may God bless us all. This is David Summers thanking you for joining us and reminding you that Ron Fuller's Studcast is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. Thanks for joining us today for this historic Studcast. The true story continues next week. So full Nelson, your friends, and point them in our direction for another ride with the Tennessee Stud. One, two, three. This is David Summers saying so long from the Great Smoky Mountains.